0: In a call to vigilance, Pastor Xavier Reese has a word of caution about compromise. The mixed multitude will cause the believer
1: to compromise God's standards. We're not to isolate ourselves, we're to insulate ourselves, okay? We're light, we're to reach those that are in darkness, we're to reach out to the lost, but you be careful you're not mixed in with the mixed multitude where they start influencing you more than you influencing them, all
0: right? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What would you do if you heard all the wild animals from a local zoo escaped into your neighborhood? You'd keep your eyes open for lurking danger, wouldn't you? Well, Scripture tells us that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And unfortunately, far too many Christians have fallen as his prey because they've gotten too comfortable with the world. Well, Pastor Xavier has a solution. He shares that in today's Simple Truths message titled, A Call to Vigilance.
1: We come to our last study of Nehemiah, our series, on servant leadership. And each study has given to us important insights. In our call to serve, God is concerned with our attitude, we said. In our call to work, God is concerned with our actions. In our call to warfare, God is concerned with our abiding. And in our call to the word, God is concerned with our knowing the word of God and obeying it. In our call to revive, God is concerned with awakening us from our sleepy state by his Holy Spirit. And in the final chapter of Nehemiah, we are given a call to vigilance. A call to vigilance has to do with our responsibility to guard against sins that would creep back into our lives. Each of us, as you know, must realize that our sin nature is ever-present until we go home with the Lord. Your sin nature is still in you. You have a new divine nature, but your old sin nature is still in you. And if you don't walk in the Spirit, you will walk in the flesh, and so will I. All right? You have a free will before you're born again. You have a free will after you're born again. And if you don't press the mark, abide in Christ, and trust the Spirit of God to live through you, you will walk in the flesh. There's no if or but about it. It's just a matter of when. And so we must recognize that God is always faithful, but then I'm to abide and trust Him and never trust in myself. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, so you cannot do that which you would, Galatians 5, 17 tells us. We're to part, be a partaker of the divine nature that has been entrusted to us, and uh, to us has been imparted that divine nature, that we can overcome the corruption of this world, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-4 through four says. But it doesn't happen automatically. You must trust the Lord. You must reckon the old man dead. You must put on the new man, the new mind. Otherwise, our sin nature will take over. Just like that pilot that's flying that plane. He doesn't think for one second that the law of gravity is gone. He just knows there's a greater law that's being exerted, the law of aerodynamics. And if he doesn't believe it, all he has to do is pull back on those throttles. Let's see what happens. The law of gravity will take effect real, real quick. And the same with our lives. We're never perfect. We're never sinless. But we don't practice sin the way we used to. And we will fall sure we have an advocate for the defense, Jesus Christ the righteous, in First John two one. And as we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, Nehemiah is called the vigilance. He points out to us four sins that will tend to creep into our the believer's life, even after revival, because that's the last thing we looked at revival. And they're found here in chapter thirteen. And because of the length of it, we're not going to read it altogether. But we will take it in the sections. Let me give you the four sins. Verse one through three: the believers to be vigilant, so as to not be joined to the mixed multitude. Verse fourteen through thirteen: the believers to be vigilant, so as to not allow the house of God to be forsaken. Verses fifteen to about half, or a little bit more than verse twenty-two. The believers to be vigilant so as to not live for money. And then 23 there to 31. The believers to be vigilant so as to not be unequally yoked in marriage. Unequally yoked in marriage. Now the primary instrument of vigilance is Nehemiah. The servant leader of the people. But we also may want to make the secondary application to every believer's responsibility. To be that servant of God. You can never read the Bible, study the Bible, think that was for them, not for us. That's a great mistake. Let's begin here with the first. Verse 1 through 3, the believer is to be vigilant so as not to be joined to the mixed multitude. Listen to what he says. In Nehemiah 13 says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or a Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now remember, they've been hearing the word of God. They've been expounding. They're seeing their condition. They're seeing and recognizing why they went to captivity. Notice here, the mixed multitudes are the people who join themselves to the people of God for the benefits, but not of God. So in other words, they see the goodies, but they're really not of God. And there's a lot of people in church that are like that. They, they, they see that Christians are, are easy prey, they see the church a very loving place, and they come in just to see what they can get. Never forget that, okay? There's always fungus among us, all right? Let's not be naive. The mixed multitude went out with Israel, if you remember, in Exodus twelve thirty-eight, out of Egypt, and they were the instigators of many of the problems in the wilderness. Notice verse one: the obedience of the, of excluding them is because it is written in God's word. Okay, we're today into this politically correctness, and we think that man is good. The only problem is history doesn't give us that evidence. And if we are so politically correct, we're so benevolent, now we're liable to accuse God when he gives commands like this. But God is holy. He's much holier than we are. And he's absolutely just. We are corrupt. It is written in the word of God. The Ammonites were the descendants of Lot, as, as you know, by his younger daughter, Genesis nineteen thirty-eight. after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Moabites were also the descendants of Lot by his older daughter, there in Genesis 1937. Bold represent a type of the flesh, that which is not of God, nor pleasing to God. La was a carnal man, absolutely carnal. Now notice in verse 2: the reason they were to be excluded was because they were the enemies of God. Mark it well. They did not meet the children of Israel with bread and water when they came through the land. They hired Balaam. You know the story behind it, the curse of Israel, Numbers 22. But they were opposed by God, and he turned that curse into a blessing. And Balaam is that prophet that was a prophet of God in turn because of greed and money and love of money. And we are warned about him in Peter. We are warned about him in Jude. Look at verse 3. The obedience of the people was to come at the hearing of the word. They heard the law. They separated all the mixed multitude From Israel. This is what the Word of God does. It reminds you of what you're to be, how you're to live, and you're to respond to it, and so am I. Going to church and studying the Bible is not simply to get information, not simply to impress people, but is that I be transformed by the grace of God through the Spirit of God. That's why we study the Word of God. Now, Lot joined himself to Sodom, remember? He began only by pitching his tent towards Sodom, but later he was found in the gate of Sodom. In fact, he was one of the judges they at the gate. Abraham gave him the choice. You want the left, go to the left. You want the right, you want the right. Doesn't matter. God's going to bless me either way. And he looked towards that desert with water and green and everything else. Next thing you find, Lot is one of the judges. That's the problem with sin and the world. We're to be set apart. We're not to isolate ourselves. We're to insulate ourselves, okay? We're light. We're to reach those that are in darkness. But you don't want to get too close to fire because you will get burned. No way for but about it. Now, the mixed multitude will cause the believer to compromise God's standards. Listen to Revelation 2:14 and 15 to the church of Pergamos. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which things I hate. Nicolaitans conquer over the people. Some kind of hierarchy. We don't know exactly what. And so God warns the church of Bergamas. The mixed multitude will lead the believer into bondage. Galatians 4, 9 puts it this way, but then indeed when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. You stop to think of the things that we served and we put them on a higher priority than really they were supposed to be and perhaps sometimes even above God, a career, a job, a woman, a man, whatever it may be. And we served them. And we have to be careful as we go back in this way. The mixed multitude will destroy the witness of the believer every time. In First Timothy chapter four, verse twelve, it says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. We never want to give the impression that we are perfect, but we're transformed and we're different. We do not live for sin any longer. There was a point in time when we repented of our sins and God transformed us, and we are in process, and we are growing, and we are going towards heaven, and we are in the straight and narrow, but never think that you are in the straight and narrow if you're doing the same things you're doing before. You're deceived. You can't do that. And so the believer is to be vigilant so as to not be joined to the mixed multitude, or to... Reach out to the lost, but you be careful you're not mixed in with the mixed multitude where they start influencing you more than you influencing them, all right? And notice, secondly, the believers to be vigilant in verse 4 through 13, so as to not allow the house of God to be forsaken. First, in verse 4 and 5, by not allowing ungodly men to occupy the place of the godly. Listen. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied to Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offering, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of the grain, the new wine, the oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, the gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. Eliashib was to be in authority over the storehouses here. Of the house of God. There in verse 4. And Eliashib was allied to Tobiah. The enemy of God's people. Within the house of God compromising. And there in 5. Eliashib was more interested in the comfort of his enemy. And gave him the place that belonged to the Levites. So you see that things aren't run the way they were supposed to. As Nehemiah is gone. You have people that have came in. And now they're corrupting the things of God. Now notice secondly. In verse 6 through 9, by making sure that there are faithful and capable men to care for the people. 6 through 9. He says, But during all this I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of our king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days I ordained, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that a had done for Tobiah, in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. I love Nehemiah. He's a man of action. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God and the grain offering and the frankincense. Notice in verse 6, Nehemiah had been gone to Babylon for a time. The enemy is always looking for opportunity, whether it be within the church or your own life. You must be vigilant. You must be wise. You understand? In verse 7, Nehemiah became aware of the evil Eli- uh, Eliashib had done in preparing the room for Tobiah in the court of the house of God. So he comes back. He says things are, he sees that things are not in order. He sees that this man has taken advantage. And in verse 8, he acted immediately. You don't need to pray about when you see something wrong. You deal with it. You act upon it. You understand? And he threw out all the household goods Of Tobiah. He had no business in there. He's an enemy of God. And look at nine, Nehemiah commanded to clean it all out and to put the articles of the house of God along with the grain offering. Bring it back into order. Now notice also by holding the leaders accountable, verse 10 through 13. I also realized that the portion of the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their places. And all Judah brought the tithes of the grains and the new wine and oil to the storehouses. And I appointed as treasures over the storehouse uh, Shelemiah the priest, and Zadok, the scribes of the Levites, uh, Pediah. And uh, next to them was Hanan, the son of Zachar. And the son of Mathaniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to the brethren. So notice in 10, Nehemiah realized that the Levites had not been given their portion, and the singers had gone back to the fields to work. Because people were in positions that were ripping off the things of God. It's simple. The house of God had been forsaken, had been kind of taken over. In verse 11, Nehemiah contended with the rulers. He asked why the house of God was forsaken. It's a good question. What's going on? Now he put them all in their place. Nehemiah is a man of action. In 12, he saw the obedience of all of Judah as they brought the tithe of the grain, the new wine, the oil to the storehouses. Look at 13. Nehemiah appointed several men who were faithful to ensure the ongoing obedience and protection of the house of God. So the believers to be vigilant so as not to allow the house of God to be forsaken. Simple. Now notice 30, 50 on down to 22. The believers to be vigilant so as to not live for money. Notice how all these things all tied together. The Sabbath acknowledged God's creative act as well as trusting God to provide sufficiency from the six days. Okay? It's resting in God. And when you don't trust God, then you work as often as you can, as much as you can because you've got to live for this stuff. Okay? Everybody needs money. We need to buy a house. We need to pay rent. We need this and that. But if we're... Faithful, we're hard worker, we're honest, God will provide for us and it will be sufficient. But we live within our means, not beyond our means. That's the problem with America. That's why we've gotten in trouble, okay? Real simple principle. Let me read fifteen through twenty-two. He says, In those days I saw a people of Judah. "'Treading wine presses on the Sabbath, "'and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens "'which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. "'And I warned them about the day "'on which they were selling provisions. "'Men of Tyre dwelt there also, "'who brought in fish and all kinds of good, "'and they sold them in the Sabbath "'to the children of Judah and Jerusalem. "'Then I contended with the nobles of Judah "'and said to them, "'What evil thing is this that you do?' by which you profane the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on our city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. He reminds them why they went into captivity. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be open till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of My servants at the gate, so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them, and I said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. I like Nehemiah. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath day. And I commanded the Levites that they should clean themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. So the believers to be vigilant so as not to live for money. This is a great principle here. This is something that you have to be careful as God does the work in, in a family, in a church, all of this. Because it's easy to get away from things. Again, we lose our passion. Look at 15 and 16. Nehemiah saw that Judah was violating the Sabbath for profit. Don't miss that. They were treading wine presses, bringing in sheaves, loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem. Business. They were warned by Nehemiah about that day that they were selling the provisions. So Nehemiah, he, is, he understands why they were in captivity. Remember the beginning of Nehemiah when he heard all the walls were burned down and the gates and he was grieved and he sought the Lord and the Lord sends him back to build. He knows why they went into captivity. He, wasn't, he was born in captivity. The men of Tyre also there in verse 16 brought fish, all kinds of good. They sold them. And the children of Israel bought it in Jerusalem. They're part of the problem too, you understand? It's on both sides. Now, Nehemiah rebukes them for not having learned from the past. This is so simple. Verse 17, Nehemiah contends with the nobles of Judah. They are the people that have come out of captivity. He told them what they were doing was evil. He points it out. And he charged them with profaning The Sabbath day, very specific, okay? And then in 18, Nehemiah reminds them of their father's similar sin. The consequence was that God brought disaster on the men of Jerusalem. He reminds them of their past. He reminds them why they went to captivity. We must learn from our past history. Look at 19, Nehemiah enforced the Sabbath day then. He commanded the gates to be shut at sundown. Before the Sabbath, he commanded they not be open until after the Sabbath. That was the law. And Nehemiah was practical. He posted men at the gates in order that no burden be brought into the Sabbath because men are lawbreakers. You put laws because you know they're going to break them. We're sinners. That's why those guys in motorcycles and black and whites are in the freeway. Okay? They don't pull you over and give you commendation for going to speed. They give you a ticket for going over the speed. Okay? Because they know if they pull 70, they know that we will go more than 70. We'll try 75, 80, you know, whatever. But very, very few people go 68, 70. That shows that we're lawbreakers. Illustration all the time. The science says wet paint. What do you do? You touch it, it provokes us. Paul says that in Romans law provokes us to sin. By nature, the willful disregard became evident by their presence outside Jerusalem once or twice. There's always a push. There's always people that want to press the line, see how far they can go, but that's just the way it is. In 21, the warning was given to them by Nehemiah. He asked them why they were spending the night around the wall. What are you doing there? He told them if they did that again, he would become physical with them. He was successful in discouraging them. Leadership is important, but leadership has to know the word of God because if if we don't know the word of God, then we try to place our own authority and we have no authority. The only authority that I have is that authority that the gospel gives me and I can't go beyond that. I have the authority to minister the gospel, to stay within the confines of the standards of the gospel and that's it but I have no control over your life God takes care of his church but when things come up we'll have to deal with it whether it be in your children or your family members or your friends if you're a Christian and they're Christian then you have a responsibility towards them if you love them faith for the wounds of a friend deceit for the kisses of the enemy I'm not really concerned that you like me I'm more concerned about being your pastor to teach you the word of God You can't compromise.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating with Nehemiah the need for vigilance over compromise, corruption, and carnality on today's Simple Truths. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But there's much more to come on this topic right here next time as well. But if you won't be able to join us, you can always pick up a copy of this message for your own continued study. The title to ask for is A Call to Vigilance, and it's available on CD for only $4. And this would be a great tool you could pass along to someone in your church or Bible study who may be struggling right now. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Vigilance, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station and all your correspondence. This is one way we have a checking on the impact of this outreach. When does being stubborn become a virtue? Find out when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese.